When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, okay. Welcome back to Talking Knicks. We've taken our, our sweet time after the the Knicks said, said goodbye to their glorious season at the hands of the Atlanta Hawks, who went on to do pretty well for themselves. So there's nothing to be ashamed of about the, the Knicks season. We already knew that, but now we know it even more. I'm joined by uh, Tom Piccolo and my brother Kenny to, to talk about the Knicks. So hey, guys. Let's talk Knicks. All right, it's been a long, long time. We are all we're in our off season, just like the Knicks are in their off season. We're going to talk about uh, some rumors, some some draft stuff. The draft is coming up next week, but before we get to that, let's see how everybody's doing. Tom, how are you? Hey guys, good to see you. I'm doing well. I, I it has been a long time since we've potted. I'm like still adjusting my my audio levels over here. I'm I'm rusty. I will say I I don't have like a a bunch of stuff to report though. I I didn't do a ton with this this summer vacation we had. I think I squandered it, guys. Um, I don't know. I, I'm headed to uh, Glacier National Park in Montana in about ten days. So that's kind of the thing I'm looking forward to. But but beyond that, it's been a, a fairly quiet summer. I went to New Hampshire with the in-laws, and that's kind of the, the splashiest thing I've done. So that's that's what being 32 yeah, I mean, don't, is. Don't let people fool you. There there's there's still a pandemic out there. So you uh you, you can that's normal, I would say, as your your summer to date. So don't feel bad. That that I mean, does I've, that feels been, good. I, I've done a few more things than that, but I mean, you shouldn't feel bad about what you've done. I've been what? to Boston, I've been to Maine, I've been to Connecticut, touch them all. Kenny, how are you doing? I'm good, and don't don't let Tom fool you. He's also been climbing every day. Um, he's at, at this point, he's an expert climber. I wouldn't be surprised if he was going glacier to glacier to to scale some cliffs and stuff. Um, I'm all right. I, similar situation to you guys. I don't. I don't do much. I uh, I hit the beach a decent amount in the outdoors to try to avoid um, you know running into people. I took a quick vacation to the Berkshires. Um, did some hiking up there. Hung out. Uh, this past weekend, I went to a wedding. Shout out uh, to my buddy Tahir Kadir. Congratulations! And that was the first time uh, that I really hung out with a bunch of people in a enclosed space. Um, in a long time, so that was uh, that was different, but uh, it was it was exciting and fun nonetheless. I went to a wedding as well in Queens, had myself a nice time. That was that was right before the Fourth of July. So uh, yeah, I I understand that kind of feeling there, Kenny. We were, there was a lot of dancing, a lot of in close contact with people. It was, it was a different experience, but I mean, we're all vaccinated here. Like it's, you know. Uh, granted, the the Olympics might be uh, uh, that's kind of a whole different 
can of worms that I don't know if we want to go down that road, but I think that they're actually happening. I know there was some speculation that they might not be earlier this week, but I think we're, we're too far in it at this point. So I think we're going to watch some Olympic basketball. We are. The, the Olympics actually, I don't know when the opening ceremony is, but some stuff already already started. Like the girls, the women's soccer team already lost to Sweden 3-0. to zero. So we're, we're, we're in it. Three nil was the soccer term. Three nil. <laughs> three three love, as yeah. they say, I believe, on the pitch. But I mean, I think that's. I also went to a wedding. Shout out to Kevin McGovern for getting married. I was just was a groomsman. I I know you guys weren't groomsmen at the weddings you were at, but friend of the I podcast. Was. He's been on this very podcast before. Before it was yeah. called Talking Nicks. Yeah, that's true. Friend of the pod. Not close enough right. friend that we got invited, Kenny, but uh, it's, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> he told me that Greg's invitation included me, but Greg didn't tell me when I asked him why I wasn't invited. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going to blame Greg. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't really believe in mail, to be honest with you. So I may have said something. I mean, I've said, I've told you guys, I'll tell the, the podcast listeners that the mailman's like the opposite of the garbage man. He just comes to your house and brings you garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good bit, and uh, and that was talking Knicks. That'll do. So the, old George, the old George Costanza just end on a high note. Yeah. So I mean, where where does this start? Where to begin? I guess we can begin it. I'm, I'm going to talk about the NBA season briefly. As I mentioned, the Knicks lost in five to the Atlanta Hawks, who went on to beat the 76ers in seven. And then lose to the Bucks in six, which and the Bucks won the championship in six. So, but Hawks we should, are a good team. Yeah, we should also point out that uh, the Hawks were not at full strength for much of the playoffs after the the Knicks. I think um, Bogdanovich was banged up for a little bit, and then DeAndre Hunter um, went down for the rest of the playoffs. And De- DeAndre Hunter was a killer in the Knicks series. Uh, he played great defense against Julius Randle, and he also hit a bunch of big shots that I don't think people who didn't watch that series realized how important he was to that team. Um, so I've been telling you guys, like, if the Knicks won game one, I'm pretty sure they just would have won the championship, and uh, we were that close. <laughs> yeah, and he re- he just bullied uh, R.J. Barrett as well. I'm sure he, he would have bullied others along the way, but he didn't. So that's all I'll say. On the matter, congratulations to the the Bucks on their championship. Um, yeah, that was a fun series. Like, it was it was fun to watch. I mean, Giannis putting up that fifty spot in the <laughs> clinching game that was pretty incredible. Um, and it was it was good to see a guy dominate kind of without a a jump shot. Like that was just a change of pace, right? The the Bucks, they're in that last game. They shot like. 20 something percent I think from three and in the playoffs I think overall they shot really poorly from three so it was just it goes to show like you know the league maybe hasn't changed quite as much as we all thought necessarily like it's not a requirement you just need to have a a kind of a generational type talent on the inside like Giannis who's versatile enough to to be able to you know play on the perimeter a little bit and dominate the paint I mean really like people compare those numbers to Shaq's numbers and I think that's a fair comparison. He was just an absolute monster. He was relentless. And I think that's what we're going to want to see out of uh, out of Randall and RJ 
this upcoming season. Yeah, and then on the other side, you have uh, the Suns had DeAndre Ayton, was one of their big, big players, um, both size-wise and contribution-wise. So, like you mentioned, the game hasn't changed as much as, as some people say. He didn't get played off the court. So, yeah. a center like Mitch Robinson could could be good in the future. I mean, Brook Lopez did get played off the court, but Giannis is also 6'11", so... You'd yeah. be playing with those two tall people. Yeah, and I think Aiton coming in, they like they expected him to have a little bit of a, bit of a jump shot. I don't know that I saw that at all during uh, this series, or if he's done that. I guess I haven't watched enough of the Suns to know if he's done that all year. But going back to to Giannis, man, he was absolutely incredible. Like at times, it just looked too easy. Um, there was times when when Aiton was guarding him, and you know he would just start above the above the three-point line and then just drive in for a layup and like eight and put up very little resistance and it didn't really matter who you're throwing at him it looked like he was getting easy layups to the point you're like this shouldn't be that easy but he's just that skilled of a kind of penetrator and like he's just so lanky and and strong that it's just hard to stop it are you saying he would swoop in like a missile from the three-point yes that's exactly <laughs> what i'm saying he would s- I, I'm sure we've talked about that on the podcast, but I don't know if you want to jump into that reference, Tom. Oh, yeah. That was just uh, – I wrote an article once for a, a media outlet called Ozzy, and uh, they're not like a sports – they're not really known for their sports, but um, I, I wrote about the Olympics. This was a few years back now, probably four years – it had to be four years ago, five years ago because the Olympics got pushed. But uh, they ended up changing my lead to just – the least it just sounded like I'd never heard of the game of basketball before, like <laughs> or certainly never played it or watched it. Um so it's just an ongoing joke. It was a bunch of kind of metaphors like that that you just wouldn't use when writing about the game of basketball. But uh, it talked about like Charles Barkley swishing th- threes from the net and Larry Bird dunking. <laughs> like it just it, none of it made sense, but it did have my name attached to it. So you guys can go check that out. <laughs> And that's that's how got, that's how Tom got his gig on this podcast. We, we read <laughs> they, that, and you, you read that lead, and you're like, "Get yeah. this man! He must be absurd to listen to yeah. talk about John, basketball." John Boy read that and said, "We have to have him. This guy knows yeah. his stuff." <laughs> that's right. And so on to on to more more pressing matters. I'll start with the rumor central. Rumors rumors galore in the off season. Obviously, we have the. Damian Lillard for everybody on the Knicks rumors going around. Colin Sexton for nobody on the Knicks rumors or 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 a bunch of people on the Knicks or somewhere in between. We don't know what Colin Sexton is worth. And then um, all of the free agent rumors, who's coming back, who's leaving. Reggie Bullock wants money. We'll see if he gets it. We'll see if he comes back. Is Frank Stan? We don't know. And so that's, that's the type of stuff we're going to dive into. And I'll... I'll I'll handle it in order. So Damian Lillard first. Um, he's probably not on the move. I mean, I guess I don't know. I can't say that. I will say. I guess I can say probably because 51% is probably, and I, I, I'll say he's probably not moving. But if he does, the Knicks could be a place for him. And, Kenny, what do you think about that? Uh, I've – I've said it for years. I don't really buy into much of the trade talk, although the the Dame stuff is pretty loud at this point. And there were, um, 
you know, I think he made some comments uh, while he was at the Olympic training camp about like, um, you know, it's great that they, they hired Chauncey, but like he wants to see improvement on the roster and things like that. And it's kind of sounding like um, he doesn't really, he's not really interested in being there. Um, what the Knicks have to offer that Portland doesn't, particularly if the Knicks got their roster, I don't really know. Um, I think it's just possibly there's talk that, you know, his people want to see him in a bigger market and that might help. Uh, so maybe it's not all basketball. Um, but, you know, generally I'll believe it when it happens is how I feel about all that stuff. And, you know, I'm not, I, I know I've talked to you guys, like I, we, we've said that RJ Barrett likely has to be a part of that trade. And that's not something that I'm excited by, although I do love Damian Lillard. So like I get it and I'm willing to, to take that if it comes to it. But if there was any way to get Dame Lillard without giving up RJ Barrett, that would be kind of the dream scenario for me. And I think that is what it comes down to, right, Kenny? I mean, that whether we would be we as fans would be willing to give up RJ Barrett in exchange for Damian Lillard, who you know I think he's thirty-one. Is that right? And yeah, I think he'll be thirty-one next season, um, and his contract will take him through thirty-four when he has a player option at thirty-four. I mean, that it's a, it's a really tough question, and I do want to hear your guys' opinions on that. Um, but like I don't think that there's a chance that the that the Blazers take a deal back without Barrett in like they need an established young player in return for their you know the face of their franchise the guy that's been their guy for a decade you know so um I don't know I I'm torn on that I I don't think you know if it's if it's RJ I don't think you need to kind of gut the roster it's probably just RJ Maybe another young prospect like an Obi, and then, and then some picks. You know, would would Blazers would the Blazers laugh at that offer? I, I don't know. It's really hard when you're when you're a fan of a team. Like you, de- you definitely tend to overvalue your own young prospects. Like we we just watched RJ go from a, effectively a non-shooter to a forty percent three-point shooter, and so we kind of just project that forward. We project his work ethic and his talent. And we think like, oh, what can he be? So, um, you know, I'm more prone to kind of, especially we're a little, uh, you know, this is kind of colored by watching the Bucks pull this off. But the the satisfaction of a, of this homegrown talent of kind of investing in your players and watching them grow together and, and winning together, like there's definitely some a draw there, right? That does look very appealing. So, you know, trading our best young players for Damian Lillard. What, where does that put the Knicks in the East? Do you, do you really think it makes them a contender with some of these other great teams? Um, and if not, is it, is it really worth it? I, I, what, Greg, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the, the Nets were injured this year, but obviously, I mean, I don't think the Knicks clearly wouldn't be on, on their level, but maybe you could just bank on, them getting injured again i don't know that's that's the thing these days is that you just hope that the other team gets injured so you can win the championship like the the raptors and the bucks recently so it's possible but uh, it's pending injury um the knicks would not be as good as the the bucks the nets the 76ers maybe 
we'll see if, if Ben Simmons decides to to remember how to play basketball. Or, <clears throat> and then, I, then the Hawks the Hawks are coming. I, I don't know. It just wouldn't put them over the top, especially like you guys mentioned, having to to give up every all the depth. Even if it was just even if we kept Julius Randle, Damian Lillard, and R.J. Barrett, that's still nothing compared to you know Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. And I think, you know, depending on what the move actually ends up looking like, um, again, this is pure speculation because it's not something that I am expecting to happen. Um, but the the Knicks still have a ridiculous ridiculous amount of cap space, so like potentially they absorb some of his his contract with that cap space, granting uh, Portland some cap space relief. Although, you know, if you're Portland, you're not really getting big names to come there. So, like Tom said, I think they want a long-term prospect under with some team control um, like RJ Barrett. And I don't know how willing they would be to accept, you know, uh, just, just picks in return. Um, So I think the goal would probably be to bring in someone else with him. There's not a huge crop of, of uh, talent this summer, next summer, some, a lot of people could be free agents um, and maybe that's what they're going for. But again, it's a very kind of short window with, with, Dame about to turn 31 uh like it's it's an interesting question and I just you know I it's a risk for sure but you know it'd be it'd be fun to have have Dame Lillard in the garden that would be fun I just you know I don't know what the incentive necessarily is for the Blazers to do it unless Dame just flat out demands a trade like if he demands a trade they definitely lose some of their leverage a lot of their leverage and we've seen that go south before like I don't know how you guys felt about the James Harden trade, but I didn't feel like the Rockets got that much value in return. Um, I don't know. Did you guys like? Would it would a package of RJ, OB, and call it like two first round picks and two pick swaps? Like that's a lot, but you know, is that? Uh, would that deal get it done in your guys' eyes? Or do you think that, like, would Portland even want, like, RJ, OB, CJ McCollum, and, like, their current team? Like, is, is that even something they'd be interested in? So, I mean, what did what did the, well, the Rockets ended up with Victor Oladipo and four first-round picks and some swaps, I think. So, I think it'd be, it'd be comparable to that. So, I don't think that the, the deal you suggested would get it would get it done. I think uh, they're getting at least four first, I would guess. It's a lot of firsts. That is, yeah. It's a lot of firsts. <laughs> I just, I just, I just don't know. Like I, I love Dame and I would love to see him in the next uniform. And like, as opposed to years past, I have some faith in the front office to do what is best for the team, which is kind of comforting. Uh, but, you know, it it seems like a risk. If it happens, I'm not going to fight it. Uh, but you know, it's I just don't know. I don't know, which is very bad radio. And it's also, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's people are like kind of putting a lot of faith in this front office. They're like Le- Leon knows best, and just sort of like going along for the ride. And I mean, what else can you do as a fan? You can certainly have opinions, though they won't. You know, they don't actually make an impact. But like, it's. You know, rarely have Knicks fans been like, trust this, trust the front office, they got this, like we're in good hands. But they haven't proven 
us to be wrong otherwise, you know? So for the time being, this, this front office has our trust and until they break it, I think that's, I mean, it's good. It's good to have your opinions, but it, you know, they certainly have more information than we do. Yeah. And I mean, perhaps a, a more realistic option than, than Damian Lillard is, is Colin Sexton. So we could, we can transition to him. We don't, He's going into the last year of his rookie deal. He's gonna he's gonna want a lot of money from from somebody. Um, the Cavaliers are obviously not close to uh, contending, so whether they want to pay him or not, or whether they believe he's in their backcourt of the future after drafting Darius Garland uh, right after picking him, it's is up in the air. It seems like uh, the answer to both those questions is probably no. But we'll we'll see what his value is. Um, I mean, obviously substantially less than than Damian Lillard, as Damian Lillard's a perennial All Star, All NBA guard, and Sexton is not yet. But he did put up twenty four points per game this year, four point four assists, three rebounds, uh, shot thirty seven percent from three. He's he's pretty efficient, and he puts up points. Um, Maybe not the best locker room guy, according to rumors, but I haven't been in their locker room, so I can't verify. <clears throat> so, yeah. Kenny, we'll start with we'll start with you again. What See, do you What do you think about that? Obviously, cheaper. Yeah, and I, I mean, he's the guy's getting a lot of points, and with the locker room stuff, I just have to have faith in Tibbs uh, because Tibbs is a you know he's a, a hard nosed coach, and he gets the most out of his guys, and you know you have some leaders in that locker room. You know, maybe Taj Gibson comes back, but if not, like Julius Randle has shown um, the ability to be a leader this past season, which would be useful. And I know um, I, I forget his name, but the the Athletic um, Cleveland writer did an article where he basically said like he doesn't know that Colin Sexton would be back, but he also doesn't think that he has much trade value. Uh, and then a few days later shams also on the athletic had a bunch of articles about like how that how cleveland was in the, uh, controlling their own destiny so that seemed a little shady to me like uh shams is doing some favors for for cleveland to try to drive up his his price um but you know the the original article said that they didn't know that if um if cleveland could get a a first round pick in the early i think the first half of the first round or something to that that effect and like the the pick the trades that people were proposing like didn't seem all that bad and to the extent that the Knicks are talking about condensing their picks into um to to trade up for you know a better prospect you know the opportunity to condense some of those later picks and get Colin Sexton I think you have to take yeah I mean again I I was just gonna say I don't know that that's on the table but that's the speculation that people have thrown out yeah, it's like it's hard to argue that you know Sexton is he's a great talent. Like there's definitely some serious upside there. And if if let's just start throwing out some some packages here like I think what we heard was was it Obi and was it Obi and what was it? It was Obi in the second round pick, which is just a bad. Whoever I don't remember who said that, but it doesn't seem like a reasonable. It's like Obi in thirty-two, suggest. right? Yeah, like an yeah. early second-round pick. That, I mean, look, 
I mean, we can have that discussion now. Like, it depends on how much you value Obi, how much you think he's, um, you know, potentially going to grow in his for the remainder of his rookie contract. Um, I, I think it's, it's safe to say it was a pretty frustrating rookie season for him. And yeah, he did show some flashes in the playoffs, particularly when Julius Randle was really struggling. But I think, especially for next this upcoming regular season, we can safely assume that Julius Randle will not struggle that much for the entirety of the regular season. And the question just becomes, like, where does Obi fit in on this team? He was drafted before we knew what Julius Randle was. So, you know, that's kind of why he was with the team. We saw throughout the regular season, he just was he was a an ancillary piece. He wasn't necessarily needed. And I don't know what changes in year two, whether it's his minutes per game or his role in those minutes. I'm skeptical that like too much is going to change in year two. And it's like, if that's what you're giving up for, for a guy like Colin Sexton, who, yeah, maybe he, you know, I don't really buy into the empty calorie stats thing, but maybe he is like problematic in the locker room. At least you're getting a year of gathering that information with the potential of a huge upside with this player who can create, who can score, who can create, who can like get into the teeth of the defense and just do things that other guys on this team can't. So I think it's even worth it just to get that, all that information to have the guy in your clubhouse and figure out, figure out even if you do want to pay him long term. Yeah, and the other thing that people are concerned about is that he's going to get max money, and like everyone's like, he's not going to get max money, but like I don't want him to be on the Knicks because he might get max money. It's like no one wants to pay him that, so I don't know why everyone's speculating that he's going to get a max. Um, but you're absolutely right. He's a huge upgrade at a position that has been a problem for the Knicks for the last two decades. Like he he averaged t- over 24 points a game last season. Like. This is a clear position of need, and there, if if the asking price is Obi Toppin, who plays behind our exclusively behind our best player last season, like maybe next year they try to play him at some small ball five, but we did not see that almost at all this season. So he was limited to the the minutes that the player who played the most minutes in the NBA didn't play. <laughs> that's that's when Obi Toppin was playing, and like. If we're going to give that up for a guy who plays the position that we need and averaged 24 points a game last year, like that's a no brainer. Like that's not even a question. Yeah. And I'll, I'll steal a joke. Kenny said to our group chat when, when the rumor was going on around Colin Sexton averaged 24 points this year. I don't know if OB scored 24 points last year. The, it's just no comparison between these two. I mean, even if you're giving up one of those two first round picks, I think that that's fine. Those are those are mid mid first round rounders. <clears throat> so, and Sexton's younger than Obi. Sexton right. is younger than Obi too, right? Like if we're talking yes. about upside, like you know, it's not like Colin Sexton is this finished product either. Is all I'm saying. Like he, if you whatever you don't think he's good at, whether that's playmaking like being a primary ball handler you know we've seen some serious player development with this current Knicks regime and like there's a, certainly a chance that Colin Sexton could benefit from that as well um, I, I'm wondering whether you guys think that Colin could get the Fred Van Vliet contract or you know I mean Fred Van Vliet was like what 26 I think when he signed 
his deal, but he's he got a four-year, eighty-five million dollar deal. So that's twenty-one point five, or roughly, just over twenty-one million dollars per year. Um, I don't know. Do you guys think that is a reasonable barometer for what Colin Sexton could get, or it, it was Fred VanVleet like actually had proven he can win and contribute to winning, and so Colin Sexton doesn't deserve that? I'd say at this point, Colin Sexton isn't there, but I think, like you said, um, the whole one of the biggest reasons to do this is to have that year to figure things out, and then you know have the player control to to have him be a restricted free agent where you have that opportunity to match. Because like Fred Van Van Vliet had already won a championship, right? And he was was he sixth man of the year, or was he? He he played very well for the in the playoffs for for Toronto. So like. He, I think, had elevated value because of that. And, you know, Sexton could get there, but I don't think he's there yet based on the fact that he was playing, you know, largely in Cleveland, largely in uh, meaningless games. And kind of like you, I don't know that I believe in the empty stats because, you know, we saw guys like uh, Devin Booker do very well in the playoffs this year. They didn't end up winning the championship, but they made it there. Um, So I think that Sexton's stats mean something, but I also think that um, people – put a premium on people who perform in the playoffs. Yeah. And then they put a premium on, on the homegrown people as well. But I mean, 20, 20 million dollars these days. I don't even know. I've, I've lost, lost track of, of what that, that is when, you know, you have people making $45 million, um, on their super maxes. So, uh, maybe twenty million dollars could be a, a a decent deal, but then also I mean, I don't like you guys are saying is we need that year to figure out what Colin Sexton is if he's more of a more of a Fred Van Fleet or more of a you know I don't know Terrence Ross or something. And for what it's so. worth, I'm pretty sure we gave Tim Hardaway Jr. eighteen million a year. And that wasn't yeah, a bad deal. It turns out. <laughs> And that was that was before uh, these supermaxes were going around. Yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't be upset to have Colin Sexton on the team next year. Personally, I'd like to see that. You know, I don't think he takes opportunities away from quickly. I think they could both play together. I I just um I I think there'd be a lot of upside and limited downside to that. And Obi would be going back to to Ohio where he was a legend last year in his uh in his college days. So you know, I I'm not over here saying I've given up on Obi either. Like I think Obi could be a good player. I just think Colin Sexton has has more of an upside and has more skills that are more valuable in today's NBA and that the Knicks need very much. It's and that's the biggest thing for me is like they need a point guard. And I got they have these draft picks and I don't know that drafting a point guard is the way to go um i think this year changed the trajectory of the team a little bit where you know they're expecting to compete a little more and i don't know that a rookie point guard coming in is the particularly you know a a mid first round rookie point guard like i don't know that's the way they're gonna compete so they need someone who has at least shown something in the league yeah and I, i can hear the colin sexton haters being like well if he's such a point guard why would the Cavs be this willing to give him up for seemingly so little and why are they pivoting their franchise to Darius Garland as their point guard instead what um you know what's wrong with Colin Sexton 
And I would say it's that they, you know, Cleveland isn't a destination team without LeBron there. And so, you know, they're worried that they're going to have to pay them and that's pay him uh, soon. Like if he was still on his rookie contract for another year or two, uh, rather than just this upcoming season, like I don't think that they would even entertain the idea of trading him. But because they're going to have to make a decision at the end of this year, I think they want to punt on that decision and possibly, you know, have some opportunity to get something back rather than letting him walk for nothing. Sure. All right. Well, that thus concludes the the trade rumor segment of this. Quick, uh, quick hitter on the the free agency front. We got Frank as a restricted free agent if we give him the qualifying offer, which it sounds like we might. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. And then Tom is giving us rumors that Reggie Bullock may be seeking a, a three year. Twenty-seven million dollar range um, contract, and if the Knicks would, we'd, we'd, see, we'd see if the Knicks were willing to match that. So, I'll start. Tom, would you would you be willing to give Reggie Bullock that contract? See, I think I saw that in a Mark Berman article um, that came out today in the in the New York Post, and I think he's looking for something like the is the full mid level. That he wants, um, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, he's looking for like the full mid level. So I don't know. Like uh, Reggie Bullock was a very valuable player for this past season. He contributed to a lot of regular season success. We've talked about before how much of his play seemed to coincide with Julius Randle's play. They were really um, kind of like a a tag team. They they played off each other so well. Randall just trusted Bullock. It was so clear. He looked for Bullock every opportunity he could on kickouts and in transition. So, you know, to keep Julius Randall happy, I I could see bringing Bullock back at that number. I mean, it seems a little steep considering we saw just how limited Bullock was in the postseason, how the Hawks were able to hide Trey Young on him and just you know, Bullock could do nothing in the way of, of creating off the dribble, of, of creating any advantages from that mismatch. They certainly couldn't post Bullock up, but they couldn't even give him the ball in the wing and have him, like, go to work, whether that was an isolation or anything. Like, it, it's very, it's tricky. Bullock does seem kind of like he's a regular season player and, and not necessarily a postseason one. Because um, the game the game changes, you know. So weaknesses are very much... Uh, emphasized in that postseason and and Bullock has some glaring ones in his offensive game but all that said he's he's still a relatively a two-way player when you consider his shooting and his defense I mean I'm kind of talking her in circles here guys I think you I think you do give it to him and part of that is just that synergy he has with Randall what do you guys think How, what was the number again um I want to say it was 9.3 million per year and i'll say this and take it how you will um before reggie bullock had the herniated disc or whatever it was he had planned to sign with the knicks for 21 million dollars for two years which is over that so i don't know if that you know means anything to you guys that was the prior uh front office and that was also uh, when the Knicks were just giving out a bunch of money to people to use up cap space and you know potentially 
trade those pieces, but like that doesn't seem like an egregious contract to me for a guy who you know shot very well from three and was our top perimeter defender. Yeah, and just to, it was the full mid-level exception of nine point two three million dollars per year uh, in a three-year deal. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I'd give it to him. He was pretty pretty important to this team um, throughout the year. Maybe maybe the second most important person on the team. Um, Hot takes. It, uh, you know, it's just you know, maybe. I mean, there was times when. When R.J. Bear was was the most important, but there was also times when he didn't play in the fourth quarter. But it's Reggie was more more consistent. But going forward, obviously, you'd expect R.J. to be be the number two. And but Reggie's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, like as him. as three point shooters, like R.J. Barrett was just a standstill catch and shoot on on kickouts three point shooter whereas Bullock we just desperately needed his offense like him running around and and kind of commanding the attention of the defense as he came off screens he was really the movement guy he was the movement guy in this offense and if you think back to like those Sixers teams a few years back that had like was a Bellinelli and Redick just kind of running around sprinting around screens and then they tried to replace him with was it Josh Richardson or something? And, and bottom line is that the next season after they got rid of Redick, they really struggled to recreate that kind of offensive dynamic, and they've sort of found it again with Seth Curry. But like it's it's so helpful, and it's, it's such like a pressure release for an offense to have a guy who can just like sprint off screens and be a threat to shoot from deep. And without Bullock, it, it's kind of hard to replace that. So unless you're able to, to find somebody in the draft, which I know we want to get to shortly – it's it would be pretty tough to give up a guy with with his skill sets despite his deficiencies in the playoffs. Yeah, and if we don't bring back Bullock, and even if we do, what is the possibility of, of bringing back Frank? I'm I'm on record as saying I don't I don't really see him getting more much more than than the minimum, especially with so few teams having having cap space. Um, I guess they could use a portion of their their mid level on him if they want, but is that the guy you're trying to bring in to to move the needle? Um, I mean, I would compare it to like a guy like Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who you know had a solid solid run with that that Nets team that made the playoffs, but then after he was like a defensive specialist type of guy, and after his time there, all he could get was a a minimum from the the Raptors. So I don't. I don't know that Frank showed so much, and he wasn't in the rotation at all for long stretches of of the next season. So I don't know that he's getting a ton of money. So if he's not getting a ton, might as well just come back. Yeah, and I think um, you know they do kind of want to see what happens with him. I know you know there's been reports that despite the little that he played, they like his you know defensive ability and his kind of uh, potential as being a big guard. And, you know, they also have this summer to watch him in the Olympics where he has historically been very good playing for uh, this French team and Fitz is a good kind of glue guy and defensive specialist. So, you know, I'm with you. I, uh, You guys know I'm a big Frank fan, but, like, I think they could bring him back relatively cheaply. And, you know, if they even if they do it for a couple of years on a cheap contract, like, that would be my ideal situation because, like, 
the fact that Tibbs put him in, I mean, we, I know we talked about how it wasn't the ideal situation for him, but the fact that Tibbs put him in a couple times to try to guard Trey Young in like very important situations shows, you know, at least some faith in him. Uh, I know it didn't turn out particularly well, but like you, you could see with the way that some of the players have developed, you know, the the possibility that you know he could show a little more next year and and become a rotation player. Bring Frank back on a minimum. I think that's easy. Just do it. I think he's he's a if he's, if he's a fine minimum player. Like I I don't I don't see a world where he'll be commanding much more than that. And I like having him around. I think you know he's very tight with some of the guys on the team. It seems like him and RJ in particular get along really well. I, I think he's a good locker room guy and he's a hard worker and he has the right attitude. Bring him back. Tom's pitching him as uh, RJ's Thanasis. Like uh, the, yeah. the the Bucks have Thanasis there so that he can hang out with, with Giannis and the Knicks are going to bring back Frank so that RJ can hang out with him and they can speak French together. So um, Frank's qualifying offer is $7 million. So if I had to guess, I, I don't think the Knicks would offer him that um, because then he'd just say, yeah, I'll take $7 million for one year. And they'd be like, oh, that's actually not what we were planning with this. So, well, we'll see what goes down with Frank. Maybe he'll be back. Maybe he won't. Who knows? But, I mean, there's if Burks is gone, um, if we'll see if Derrick Rose comes back. There may be time in that, in that backcourt. Plus, I often credit, um, erroneously, Tibbs with with being the guy who who started the designated defensive player um, in the lineup with um, Keith Bogans back in the day, but obviously that's been going on for a long time with guys like Dennis Rodman who just grabbed rebounds and played defense and didn't score at all. But I'll I'll credit Tibbs. I don't care. Yeah. And so thus, that's the guy. Thus ends the the free agency segment of of the podcast. We move on to the to the to the NBA draft, which is upcoming. The Knicks have picks number nineteen, twenty one, and thirty two. Um, there's rumors that they could try to package those picks, or or any combination of them to move up into a little higher to jump. Memphis was was one rumor to ensure that they can get a guy like Trey Murphy, who Tom knows a good amount about. So that's a good lead in. So Tom, what do you what do you think about Trey Murphy? The third. Yeah, it's funny. Junior? Like a few weeks ago, I feel like Trey Murphy was in a lot of mock drafts as potentially going twenty first to the Knicks. And then that kind of gradually bumped up to nineteen. And now he's going even earlier in a lot of mocks. Um you know, it, it, it's funny, as I looked at, at the Ringers NBA mock draft, which they just updated today, and they've got Trey Murphy still going 21 to the Knicks. I mean, look, if you can get him that low, then that that kind of changes my perspective a little bit. If we're talking about trading up to get a guy like Trey Murphy, I'm I'm pretty dubious on that because I did watch, granted, I will admit I watched one game of his, it was a full game where in the ACC tournament uh, quarterfinals 
from March, and it was against Syracuse. So, you know, there's the, obviously the caveat that he was going against the Syracuse zone. But, you know, I watched the full game. I just watched him the entire time. And too much of his offensive game reminded me of Kevin Knox. And, and what I mean by that is just there was a lot of hesitation, a lack of kind of urgency. He was very content to just sort of stand around the perimeter. For most of the game, frankly, he was just stuffed in the corner and just was used for spacing. And I'm thinking, like, this is a, an NBA prospect. This is a guy who presumably is one of their top players. you think in a, in a big game like this, he would be going to go get the ball and trying to make a play. But that wasn't really the case. Like, it, you know, towards the very beginning of the game, he got a kick out and drove, drove the ball, had a nice uh, floater that he made. And it was the only two-point field goal he took the entire game. All 11 of his other field goal attempts were all threes. And he only made three of those. But... I know, I know the whole one game sample size thing, but it wasn't one so much fam. that it was the one game fam as we tend to go to. But like, it was more just his general mindset and approach to the game. I I didn't like it. It was very um, just tentative, and I I don't think we I don't think that we have room for that in, in a wing. You know, he's like he's big. He's six nine. He's but he's very skinny, probably about two hundred pounds if that, and he just he doesn't play with any kind of force or urgency and that's that was my biggest problem with him yeah and i i want to kind of reiterate your caveat that uh they were playing against the zone defense because that in particularly in college is a weird situation and um you know it usually ends up with them playing uh the offense playing a zone offense with someone you know on the on the high post which might explain um while he was just kind of dilly-dallying around the perimeter but, you know, I haven't watched enough of him to know one way or the other. Yeah, and I can make some excuses, too, for him. Like, he, he actually made some nice cuts, um, and his teammates just straight up didn't find him. They'd have their head down, like they weren't looking for him. So oftentimes his cuts were not rewarded in any way. Um, so he just maybe got tired of that and kind of stopped cutting. But um, he also, I will say, also in his defense, at the end of the game, he hit two huge threes. Um, in crunch time and then he got a steal with like two with like 90 seconds left or something and then he ended up making two clutch free throws as well so he did have a major impact um, down the stretch of the game he also got called for two brutal fouls like the calls were just bad and they both led to free throws for the other team that ended up like tying the game so you know he kind of he he was able to produce some some really big moments and also kind of took away in some moments too. But again, he in some of the I think it was the one of the biggest possessions of the game. There were forty seconds left or so with Virginia up by two, and he Murphy just kind of he held the ball at the top of the key. He passed it around. Didn't didn't make any dribbles into the paint. Never really got inside the three point line, and it ended up being a shot clock violation. He he shot an air ball as the shot clock expired, so it was it was a crucial moment. I just thought that was kind of illustrative of, of his general game um, in this particular game. I'm saying, but it was it was more so that that mindset, right? Like you you hear Kobe say, "You'd rather go what was it like O for twenty four than you know one for eight or something?" Because it means you stop shooting. It just he. He didn't really show that kind of 
don't know, just kind of what you want to see from from an NBA prospect playing in a college game. Yeah, and he, looking at his college stats, he played two years at Rice and then one year at, at Virginia. So it's a big transition. I mean, he, he made a, a solid transition from Rice to Virginia, averaged 11 points last year. But like you mentioned, he's he's skinny, and we'll see if he could do average 11 points against the big boys. But, he, he just he didn't I mean, pop off the screen, you know what I mean? He's not if you were just watching that game and didn't have an idea of who the NBA prospect was, you weren't you weren't coming out of that game being like, "Oh, that's the guy." You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I will say though that kind of Virginia has that style of play. They I, I think they I don't they used to. I don't I think they might still run the Princeton offense where it's like kind of a slowed down game. Um so, you know, I don't know that that shows you all of what he can do, but you know he was the third leading scorer on the team, uh, and at six nine, averaging just three point four rebounds isn't a great look. Uh, but you know the it looks like the two leading scorers were also a seven footer and a six eight guy, so maybe he's not getting those opportunities. But that is a little bit concerning to me. Yeah, I got into the the rebounding a little bit too. Like he did just finish the, that game with just two rebounds. Um, one of them was in traffic and was kind of impressive, but for the most part, he he was missing box outs. He wasn't really getting his body on anybody and was taking some kind of bizarre angles. So um, I don't know. I, I think he can be a three and D guy. Like there were definitely times where he used his length. He had a couple nice blocks. Um, had that that nice steal I mentioned too. His wingspan was probably I think it was seven feet. Um, so he's he's super long. And uh, I think he's he probably grades out to be kind of an average defender at this point and a, a very good shooter, but not a tremendous offensive player. I just didn't see him. He never tried to, like, drive and dish or, or create any offense for anybody else. He was just kind of a finisher. Um, everyone else was, was creating offense for him. And so to your point, Kenny, maybe he has that in his game and we just haven't seen it, and maybe that would come out in workouts or something. But – from the one game I've seen, it wasn't there. And and if the Knicks end up taking him, I'll watch a lot more tape and, and try and look for it there. Yeah, and I I don't know if you want to jump into the the other guy who's it seems to project as a similar three and D type guy that you dove into, which was uh Chris Duarte from uh Oregon. Yeah, so Duarte, he's uh he's Oregon's leading scorer. He was first time first team all pack twelve. Um, six six. He's probably about I'd say at least two twenty. I don't have his weight in front of me here, but he's strong. Definitely a strong guy. He plays strong, but he's also a twenty four year old wing, right? So he's he's not just older than Obi when when Obi was drafted. He's he's older than Obi right now, um, which means he's older than half of the next team. Which which means he's older than half the next team and. I, I will say he he did play like a man among boys in the game I watched. It was um, it was a game against Arizona, and he just came out firing. You know what I mean? Like there was, if you just kind of use that eye test of of who the best player on the court is that I mentioned before, he completely popped off the screen. He was hitting pull up jumpers, mid range, going to his right, going to his left, um, hitting threes, uh, kind of in motion, right? He was coming off flare screens like I was talking about with Reggie Bullock before in moving around with uh without the ball, catching and firing and 
He hit a step back three over a double team that was just super tough. He's he just looked like a very good basketball player. It, it's kind of hard to to miss him when he's on the floor. Um, and I'll 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 jump in just for a second to say like his stats look impressive. Uh, he averaged 17 points a game. Um, he shot. 42.4% from three on five and a half attempts. He shot 63.1% from two on six attempts for a full average of 53.2% from the field, which is incredible. Uh, I think your thread talks about him taking a decent amount of mid-range shots. So like that's that number is incredible. Uh, and he was also Pac-12 all defense. So he seems to have you know some ability on the defensive end to to go along with all of that offense. Yeah, I will say in this particular game, I didn't see him finish at the rim even once. He got fouled on a couple drives, but even like going through contact against smaller bodies, he wasn't able to finish. He got swatted once in transition. So I didn't see anything around the rim that was particularly impressive, but he was a, an assassin from the mid-range. He was posting up smaller guys kind of at the nail and, and shooting over. Um, he was just – he really impressed me with his shot and just his general shot making. Um he he's kind of a he's not much of a passer i guess is his reputation but he threw some nice passes in this game so i I think that there's at least some some upside there the announcers kept talking about his improved playmaking ability so maybe that started happening towards the end of the season um you know he he wasn't doing a whole lot of i think i say in one of the tweets like he didn't show much of a bag i know like NBA bag Twitter was big during the finals because people were criticizing Giannis for not being able to like, you know, beat his guy one on one in an ISO and sort of. He's not a hooper. He's not a hooper. Exactly that whole that whole discourse, which was infuriating. But um, I would say he only Duarte only made kind of one move that was even somewhat impressive. For the most part, he was just kind of he was big and strong, but he's also just very skilled and is able to get to his spots. Um, you know, defensively, actually, and before I get to his defense, kind of related, his his rebounding was just was much better. He had seven rebounds in this game. Some of those were just over bigger players. He was just very active on the glass and and aggressive, which I which I liked. And it was just kind of in stark contrast to what what uh, Trey Murphy the third was doing. So that was nice. And then defensively, he led the Pac-12 in in total steals this year. I think he nearly had two per game. Um, he had very active hands, and what I liked most about his defense was just how switchable he was. Like he, I don't know that he'll have the foot speed to keep up with guards at the NBA level, but in this college game, he could guard one through five. Like he had no problem bodying up against centers, even though he's only six six. Um, I don't have his wingspan in front of me, but he just he was able to to play up that way. He was very stout and strong down there. So he's he's active, he's strong. He can he was switching everything. And, uh, yeah, I, I liked what I saw. So, granted, yes, he's 24, so so there's going to be that kind of maybe an argument for limited upside or, or how much he can grow. But he's already a, uh, he's a hooper. He, the, the guy can play basketball. And I would just – I'd feel much better about taking him. I, I've seen some sort of Cam Johnson uh, comparisons. I think that has let, something to do with the age. Uh, so let me yeah. – I'll, I'll say I'll – say, an even better comparison than Cam Johnson is a guy that the Knicks we ha- we talked about the Knicks possibly taking last year it was Desmond Bain. Um, he's you know six six. He was twenty two. He had played four years at at Texas Christian when he came out. So 
He came like and he had, a, he had he had a strong rookie season. So I think that is that's a perfect comp, to be honest with you. Yeah, and let I think, me. Uh, I think just real quick, Desmond Bain is a, is a good comp, Greg, especially as far as like the shooting and shot making goes. I think Desmond Bain is all is a much better passer than than Duarte, but even then, I I think that Duarte's defense is probably better. Um, so I, I think as far as like overall impact and, and sort of what you'd be looking for in the draft, I'm with you. I think that's a, that's a solid comp. So let me throw out a comp, and then I, I have a separate comment. Uh, and you can tell me what you think of this. Is uh, a guy that Knicks fans are familiar with, and uh, I haven't watched a lot of Duarte, but it's it sounds like you're describing a guy similar to Damian Dotson. How do you feel about that? I didn't watch the tape. You did. Yeah, I, I didn't watch a lot of Dotson in college, so it's kind of like comparing Dotson in the NBA to Duarte. Like Duarte was the best player on the floor the entire game. You know what I mean? So like the game kind of revolved around him. It was very evident that he was the best player. Um, in terms of their games, I, I, for some reason, I just think Duarte is a little bit stronger and kind of able just to create space and get his shots off like in the mid range a little more easily. But I don't know. I, I, to me, I just think he'd be a more effective player than Dotson was. Okay. And it, it, you know, I, I was a big Dotson fan, and I thought that, uh, you know, he showed flashes every once in a while. I think his rookie year, he had a 30-10 a and 10 game, uh, which was which was solid. And then, you know, for whatever reason, uh, possibly because Fisdale was incompetent, he went through stretches where he just didn't see the floor. Um, but the other thing I was going to say is, like, at the end of the first round and, like, where the Knicks are picking, that's usually where teams try to get solid players. I think it, earlier in the first round, they take swings at guys with high upside. And, you know, Tibbs is also a guy who likes uh, guys who can, who can, who are ready to play. And it seems like uh, Duarte is that guy um, over, you know, over Trey. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't know. We haven't really gotten into anyone else. Cause I think we've, we've talked about the Knicks possibly moving up and there's just being such a widespread of players that they could choose that, you know, we, we've been limited in who we've discussed so far, but I think that he is a guy that the Knicks, you know, I don't see his age as a problem because he's a guy that they're picking, you know, 19 or 21 rather than the guy that they're picking in the lottery where, the, which is where they usually are. Um, and those, those guys usually get players who are pretty solid there, and that's where you get, you know, your role players. Yeah, I I wonder where Duarte is going to fall. I'm looking at the the ringer has him going 14th in their mock draft. The Athletic has him going also 14th in theirs. So like that might be a guy where you you may have to to trade up to get there. Um, and then that kind of changes the calculus a little bit of, of how much you're willing to give up to get to that, say he go to get up to that 14th pick. Um, yeah. And I'll, yeah. And I'll say that, you know, the way that you're describing him as an all around solid player is kind of how I described Sadiq Bay last year, who was taken at 19. Uh, and he was the guy who was, you know, very solid this year. I think he might've ended up on an all rookie team. Um, and you know, if again, that's, that's the area of the draft where you just you draft guys who you know I'm not worried about age. I'm just trying to draft a guy who can play and contribute. Right. I mean at that at that number in that range of the draft like the upside is only so much, right? You're not looking at necessarily all-star potential guys. You know, it would it would take a kind of a freak accident like the Michael Porter Jr. stuff for for a guy of that 
skill and that upside to drop that far. So um, that's kind of, you're right. I, I'm with you. I think you take what's kind of closer to the sure thing and the guy who has demonstrated how much talent he has. Granted, if that's your if, if that's your mindset, maybe you don't pick Giannis at 15. But you know that there there are definitely trade offs to that. I think it, if you see that kind of upside and that talent, then that would sort of change your decision making. But I don't know. Was there anyone else you guys had heard about the the Knicks potentially drafting, or do you think at this point it's just really difficult, as Kenny mentioned, with uh, all the potential trades that could happen? It's definitely it's it's difficult to to speculate. In I mean, first the the possibility of a trade makes it difficult, and then also uh, everything after like the top six is is difficult. Because you know you're you're you have one pick and then everything one pick go on as unexpected and then everything gets thrown off. So you never know what's going to happen at at that mid range of the the draft. So there's no need for us to speculate right now without more knowledge. When we get closer to the draft, I'm sure we may have a clearer picture. I hope so. Yeah, I'm gonna keep doing some deep dives into into guys that are kind of like in the Knicks range and who have been rumored to be of interest for them. Um, one guy who I just kind of took a, a quick glance at was Jared Butler out of Baylor. Um, I'm seeing the, the ringer has him going 25, but I feel like he's, he's 18 for the athletic. He's like a 6'3 combo guard out of Baylor. Um, he was first-team All-American. Did you guys watch much Jared Baylor in college? Jared Butler out of Baylor, rather. So I did championship no. game. I don't. I don't remember which which guy he was. I mean, I saw their their run to the to the championship, but Baylor was just like five really good players. I'm sure. Maybe there was two that were better than the rest. Maybe he was one of them. I, he I was. don't remember. I assume. I assume he was based on being first team All American. So, yeah, man, he just he, he, he came across to me as just like a really good, like a good culture guy, um, and and just a solid all around player. He kind of reminded me of of Emmanuel quickly in some ways as far as his range, like he could shoot from wherever on the court, um, but also just his his mindset. His but he had more kind of an attacking mindset. He wasn't kind of settling for for floaters he's also built differently like quickly is i think they list him at six three with a six nine wingspan or something and jared butler's six three but just a, an even wingspan so he's he doesn't have that the really long reach that quickly does but he's he also has much broader shoulders he's stronger so um i don't know it, it's tough because you you do want if you're thinking about who the knicks are going to want to take just kind of as an archetype you would think either a point guard, like a uh, something closer to a pure point guard or a wing um, and potentially even and potentially even a big to, to back up Mitchell Robinson if Nerlens Noel leaves. And, and none of those are, are a Jared Butler type who's really just a, a combo guard who's who we already have with quickly. But like we said, at this 1921 range, if the Knicks choose to stay there, you just want a good basketball player. Like I don't really care who's the point guard in a Butler quickly lineup. You know, they're both 6'3". One's got the wingspan. One's kind of stronger. You'd figure out who who guards who, I think. But 
I'm just I'm just looking for some talent for for someone who can actually come in and and make plays and and Jared Butler to me is that guy. I'm I'm going to look a bit a little bit more at him, but I was super impressed with what I saw. Yeah, Tom's just really excited about the the backcourt nickname of Quick Butt. Uh, that's that's why he's pushing it. That's it. Classic. And I'll I'll say I didn't watch a lot of Baylor other than the tournament, uh, and I don't remember much. But I think he struggled in his game against Villanova that they won by ten. Baylor won by ten in the tournament. Um, I don't remember much. I just I I know there was a lot of talk during the game about you know he was one of their better players and uh, he was not having a great game all around. Yeah, I mean, he shot 41.6% from three on over six attempts per game. And a lot of those attempts were, you know, they're pull-ups. They're from way deep. Um, he averaged almost five assists per game, which, you know, that's not bad for, for the college game. And just, I, I think he's a, he's a good leader, a uh, good high-character locker room guy, like I said. So um, that's another guy I'm keeping an eye on, even though he kind of overlaps with quickly. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a that's a good place to st- to stop with our our draft analysis. Uh, we've we've given you three options. Um, well, we may be back before before the draft, but the draft is coming up quick. And you know, as I mentioned, we we're at a a tough spot to speculate. Even though the Knicks have three picks, we don't know where they're where they're going to be drafting because they have three picks. They can trade. So we'll see. And um, thus concludes the the basketball portion of of talking next. And now we move on to everyone's favorite sub podcast, a special edition of what else is on. Because for the three of us and for for Jake and Big Baby David, there's only one thing on our TVs right now, and that's I think you should leave season two. And uh, if you've seen season one, you you know that we we can constantly reference it whether whether clearly or or subtly but now you're going to get even more um references we're back i i we i really enjoyed this season i think it's it's just like the second season where you watch it the first time and you're like okay and then you watch it 10 more times and you're like oh i get it now and so i've i've done that with a bunch of episodes or a bunch of set or sketches and and they've all they've all grown on me even though I was a I was a fan to begin with. So Tom, what are your thoughts on it? I don't know if you want Man. to say some of your favorites or I, or how you want to address it. I just we had looked forward to this for so long, right? And there was just so much build up and hype that you know, the way I operate, I I just I came into it a little nervous. I was nervous because I was like, there's just no way they can live up to season one. Season one just was so revolutionary. I know the phrase we kept using was like, it broke our brains. And we, we it did. Like I was referencing that. Even if I wasn't saying it out loud, I was like, oh, that's kind of like this. It, it just, everything seemed to relate to, to a skit from I Think You Should Leave season one. So when season two came out, I kind of had my guard up. I was like... You know, if it's not as good, not a big deal. Like, it's just, it's hard to catch lightning in a bottle twice. And then the further I got along into it, just, I was shocked that they did it again. They, they, even though we were ready for it, like, we knew the type of humor that season one brought, they still were able to, like, push it further and still kind of, they got us. They got me. Like, to your point, Greg, I, 
the first time I watched some of the skits, I was like, ah, that didn't really do it for me. And I kept watching and kept watching. I was like, oh, no, they just, they, they buried it. They, they did it again. And I don't know how they did it, but it is, it is remarkable that Tim Robinson and, and Zach Cannon, I think his name is, like the, those guys, have ju- they're brilliant. They're just brilliant sketch writers. I think this season in general did more of like getting a little bit deeper or emotional or dark or heavy with some of their sketches and uh and they just pulled that off brilliantly so i don't know i've i've several favorites that we can get into but i've already talked enough so kenny what any of that resonate with you or do you want to throw out some favorites yeah i mean both of you kind of kind of hit it on the head um and if you haven't seen i think you should leave and or if you've only seen it once and you're like that wasn't for me just watch it like 10 more times and then like it'll start to click because that was me. The first time I, I saw season one, I was like, this isn't really doing it for me. And then like people convinced me to watch it again. And like you watch it a few more times. And it, even if it's just one skit that like you're like, oh, that might be something. If you watch it enough, you'll start like picking up lines. And it's just so quotable and ridiculous that, you know, it it, it really hits. And kind of like like Tom said, uh Going into the season, I was a little, you know, I wasn't really sure. And the first two episodes, like, like I was, I was fine with it um, on the first watch. But the third episode, like right away, almost all of the skits in the third episode got me. And then I think that kind of set the tone for the rest of the show and like the rewatches. Is like once I watched that third episode, I was, you know, I was hooked again, and it was. Uh, just so funny and so ridiculous. Yeah, and and to to your point with that first season, um, I remember watching. You know, the, the starts out with the the door goes both ways sketch, followed by, has that ever happened to you? And I remember that's 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 really coming out firing. Um, that has ever has that ever happened to you? Skit is just you watch that and you it just takes so many twists and turns to places that. You couldn't even imagine like a a joke toilet that you don't, that's just for farts. Like who who's who's coming up with this stuff? So at first you're just like in in shock, and you're like, was that even funny? Well, that was so weird. But then once you once you accept it for what it is, and you understand that it's supposed to be really weird and ridiculous, then then you get it. And so that's. Happened again this season. I mean, I was hooked from from the first, the first um, episode this season. Had had my favorite skit, which was the the ghost tour at the end of it. I think it had some some uh, shades of of bozo dubbed over, which with just ridiculous amounts of unnecessary swearing uh, in it. So that that may be something that that tickles my fancy. I learned that about myself. So. Yeah. Tom, we'll go back to you for some of your heavy hitters. Yeah, I mean, just reflecting on that first episode, they did the you can't skip lunch sketch, right? The the hot dog one. And I, like, to me, I thought that that was maybe a little bit too close to season one humor. Like, just I kind of wanted to see it evolve a little bit. I don't know. I, I've come around on it, and I do think it's very funny. But the first time I watched it, I was like, it's kind of, it felt a little bit like a retread of just there are these rules and you can't break these social rules or else this is going to happen and this one guy's going to take it too far. 
Um, and it was, it was just like very explicitly like that's what the, what the lesson was. You can't skip lunch. And then they moved on to Coffin Flop, which <laughs> I, I will say was Kenny thought it was a little bit too close to um, – was has this ever happened to you, Kenny? I think it was – yeah. No, yeah, Turbo Time, yeah. Turbo Time, yeah. I, I, I same, didn't, same. We're talking the same. Yeah, I didn't necessarily make that connection in the moment. I thought Coffin Flop was – just ridiculous like that i i was i was like okay you got me with this one and then they came out with carl havoc and for whatever reason that was the one where i i was watching it i think next to my sleeping wife because i i put in the headphones and i didn't want to wake wait for her to get up start watching (laughs) it was like the morning it came out i was like a kid at christmas i couldn't wait to watch it and i i couldn't hold myself back from laughing at carl havoc i was just dying laughing i think that was my favorite sketch of the first episode and i don't know I'm, i i've watched it so many times since i'm trying to figure out what exactly it was and i i said it to you guys in the text like they did nail that kind of corny youtube prankster creator vibe at the beginning um like the hidden camera show thing but then it was just the visual of him in that makeup and his total meltdown and how and how it did get dark. Like that was the first time where I think that he did go dark, and he was just like, "I don't even want to yeah. be around anymore." <laughs> and I, and he says he tries to like get deep with it, and says like, "You know, what does that do for the greater good?" I thought, <laughs> I, I thought you so, thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting. Like I, I could quote the whole thing, but bottom line is, I loved that sketch. And so for me, Carl Havoc is when I kind of turned around and I was like, "Okay, I'm, I'm back in." And then the more I've watched the other sketches, I've, I've kind of you know, falling in love with those two in different ways. But, yeah. but Havoc yeah, for me was the one that brought me back. And with Carl Havoc, that was one where where you're like, oh, okay, I I, I know in some direction what where this is going. He's going to do some, some prank and it's going to be ridiculous. But that just, they just went in a completely different direction. Which, no prank. Which is, yeah, there was, there was no prank. It's the best um, prank we pull. And I know that Carl Havoc... Uh, had a line that that hooked me in, like you said. That had that 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 perfect corny introduction when he says, "Uh, suffice it to say, he's a lot." That's just that line was just perfectly written and perfectly delivered. It was, and, yep. And it hooked me into that sketch. Yeah. So well. I feel like I liked Carl. Hat- if I had to pick one that I feel like I liked more, I enjoyed more than you guys probably did, I would have said Carl Havoc was that one, and then the other one that I liked probably more than you guys was the Jamie taco sketch with Paul Walter Hauser at that adult sleepover. And you don't realize it's an adult sleepover until the very end, but they're all kind of cracking jokes at their wife, at their wives expenses behind their backs. You know, just kind of classic guy stuff. And Paul Walter Hauser makes an offhand comment and just deeply regrets it and goes into this. And what I love about, I think you should leave is that it, it does these really long tangents. Like you think that you're in this confined space at this sleepover where they're playing cards. But then it takes you on this whole journey of Paul Walter Hauser getting a minor play as a a minor bit role in a local play, a local production where he's a mobster. And it just goes so deep. And his wife was so earnest and supportive and loving. And it was just like heartbreaking to watch. And it's just, by the end of it, Paul Walter Hauser's got tears coming down his eyes. He's like, guys, I gotta go. I gotta go. It was just, it was so emotional. And to me, I the Jamie Taco stuff killed me. I just thought it was so funny. 
and yeah. just how proud his wife was of him for doing this terrible play. I I liked it. I, I it was also different. I think than a lot of what I think you should leave has been in the past, and and because they're still kind of growing and, and changing their their boundaries, ex- expanding their horizons. Like I just hats off to Jamie Taco. And I'll say that that one um, just a little bit uh, for me had a feeling like the uh, the country song in the season one only because like I wasn't a huge fan of most of it. But the very end of it just got me, and uh, I think you and I, you and I talked about that. And in season one, in the the country song, it, it's like, what was it? Peter isn't him, or Peter isn't me. Uh, and this one, Billy. he Billy, sorry, Billy isn't him, or Billy isn't me. And that that you know ends pretty funny. You'll have to go watch it. No spoilers. And then on this one, uh, I am I allowed to spoil how it ends? Or yeah, I already did. Oh, so yeah, like the the panning, like when he the guy's like. Oh, you're not going to sleep over? He always says he's going to sleep over and then doesn't. And then they pan to like, it's four guys and there's like four sleeping bags set up next to each other. Like they're going to have a slumber party like they're little kids. And the guy says, uh, one of the other guys says like, it's my birthday. <laughs> it's so to stay over. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know why, but that, that got me good. It's yeah. just brilliant stuff. Yeah. yeah. And that's that play getting into that, that, that world there. There's not like, he's not just cracking jokes in that that world. It's just a bunch of. It's like very serious, as as Dom said. But that's that's funny. How it's serious what, it's what it is! It creates the stakes. How ridiculous you know? it is! <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'll say that one. My favorite line of the season, um, is is from the 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 sketch where the guy can't drive. He doesn't know how to drive. And my favorite line is the guy's yelling at him and he says, what if you get where you're going and it's a job interview and I'm the boss? And that just makes me die laughing. And then the guy responds and says, I'm not going to a job interview. <laughs> I'm just immediately rejecting the question. It's 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 perfect. Yeah, I was going to. I was going to bring that skit up as one that I thought that I like more than other people, but apparently Greg liked it a lot. So not going to do that. Um, but I will say, you know, we already touched on the ghost tour, which, you know, I, I think I said very early on was one that I, I liked initially, but I thought it was going to age very well. And it has, uh, so that's worked its way up my rankings, but like my favorite is, um, is in episode three is just detective Crashmore, And like this one, I'm not going to spoil, but like, it's so like, I, I don't know why I find it so funny, but like, the entire premise is funny. And then, um, like you, you just have this old guy with a beard who is an actor, like doing like a very bad, uh, action movie. And then like much later than I think you guys probably realize in that skit, like you find out who the actor is and it's just like, Oh, that's just such a ridiculous turn. And, yeah. uh, that's that's just that's a great skit. I have to imagine if people are listening at this point that they have watched. I think you should leave. <laughs> yeah. two. If they haven't, yeah. those I, are some sick puppies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't know. Like, I'm trying. I feel like we're trying to talk people into watching it, so I don't want to spoil it. But like, uh, that was that was a very that was like a funny turning point for me. I was like, oh, that's just so ridiculous. Man, so did, Crashmore killed me. It really did. Did you like part one or part two more? <laughs> uh, it's tough to say. Like part one. There's just so many hilarious lines because it's a movie trailer and you're just like they're just cutting to 
like funny lines over and over again. But part two, like, uh, I I might lean towards part two, but I love part one, so it's it's hard to say because part two also had like the whole, you know, Tom's world of things of these guys doing an interview and like going back and forth, and again, just some hilarious, ridiculous lines. That's what I was gonna say. Is that upon first viewing, I enjoyed part two more. You know, part two is you know the the interview, the press tour about the movie, right? So the the three actors are going and do and they do these interviews in these press junkets. They give one after the other after the other, and they you say the same thing. You have all these canned lines, and so I, you know, that is part of my job is going to those those interviews and listening to those. And so it was just it was all very familiar to me, and you know, then when the when the blow up happens, like it's it's just so so funny but upon rewatching i think i do like the trailer more just because of the absurd line readings just things that would never be said in a movie or just certainly not said that way and is and the very last part of that trailer where he's like crashmore you just don't care what anybody thinks do you or something like that and crashmore's like what did you say and the guy just repeats himself. <laughs> you don't care what anybody thinks, do you? No, not really. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's everything about the trailer is so perfectly done and shot in a perfect way that's like a. It looks so much like a movie trailer, like a B movie trailer, that uh, I think that's kind of my favorite of those two now. But they're both, they're both great. Um, but I think I I think because the movie trailer is so ridiculous to me that makes the interview funnier. Yep. Like the way that he's describing the the movie, like the the canned response that he gives, like that's just so hilarious because it's like a it's a bad movie, like a, it's a bad movie, and he just the way he describes it, it's like it's art and it's it's a cosmic it's, gumbo. Uh, it's, <laughs> that's what we <laughs> say. A, a, a cosmic gumbo is such a hysterical term to describe that movie. Saying kinda, it moves to the beat of jazz. Yeah, is that's just what I was about to say. It moves to the beat of jazz. <laughs> Good lord. He he says cosmic gumbo I think three times yeah. or, or something something similar to cos. He says cosmic three. He times. says cosmic mix and then cosmic gumbo twice. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Oh my god. I um I know we're, we're kind of going long here but I I mean I could talk about season 2 for I know we're going to want to do more when yeah. Jake and Yeah. Maybe, maybe we leave it Maybe we leave it here as that's the teaser and then you know I'm sure it's, Big Baby David and and Jake will want to jump in on some conversations i mean yeah, we, we, got, it's just, we got a whole we didn't talk about we got a whole steaks. off season we didn't talk about sloppy sticks we didn't talk about bob odenkirk we got a lot to talk about still so okay i, we I think it. we have to hold off we'll save it we'll be back we'll we'll, we'll we got a long off season we'll be back to talk about season one we started talking about season one we didn't finish our hard adventure so we may do that elsewhere on another pod or another sub pod um but this is talking next. We'll be back soon enough. This is the Knicks make uh, some amount of draft picks. We don't know. They have three draft picks, four draft picks currently. They have the fifty-eighth pick, which we didn't even get to. Uh, which, which you know, I'm sure we could nail that one down. Whoever's left, we're picking there. Um, but thanks for listening, especially if if you listen to this whole entire part. And if you're here right now, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And. Uh, you know, you could tweet at us about the Knicks or about I think you should leave, and we'd be happy to talk about either one. But it's true. Until until then, go go Knicks. Knicks tape. <laughs>